wage war through the water Thinking on Uncle Sam I'm trying to make you live it all I'm just a working man And oh, I love it too I can't get no sleep, can't get no I hadn't forgotten about the fight. All the activity getting Alvaro's money out of Mexico with the bullfight hadn't been at the top of my mind. It occurred to me this was yet another good reason to move the money out of Mexico at an accelerated pace and not to obey Alvaro's directive to put my share of it back in his account until all the transfers were complete. If something happened to Alvaro, either in practice for the fight or in the actual fight itself, I would be sure to have trouble claiming what was mine. This way... My way, whether Alvaro lives or dies, I win. The transfer of the first large batch of wires, $8 million worth, was tedious if uneventful. Juan Carlos and I took a single break for 20 minutes around noon for a quick burrito and a beer. And by quarter to six that evening, I was on my way to the hangar to take Alvaro's plane to Miami. I asked Tim for a club soda with lime which he went to fetch for me immediately. But I was so preoccupied he didn't even bother to flirt with me. I headed straight for the head, threw my duffel bag on the toilet lid, hung my garment bag on the door hook, and unzipped it. Even with all the luxury of Alvaro's jet, this was cramped quarters for changing out of standard Merida business attire. Flax-colored linen shorts and a blue button-down shirt, sleeves rolled up. And into something more suitable for becoming a Miami bank owner. I'd chosen an ink blue Armani suit for the occasion, and I took my time with the pale blue silk tie I'd paired it with, going back and forth between a Windsor knot and four in hand, and finally opting only for a Pratt. In the cabin, I sat on one of the long white leather sofas, sipping my soda, thoughts of what I would do with my money circling in my brain. The school I was building for Mayan kids was fully financed as it was, 200000 to open and another hundred to cover the first year loss. But with my new wealth, I could expand it. Maybe increase the number of children it could accommodate, add some classrooms and some teachers, develop a more advanced curriculum. I smiled. It was the common understanding among educated and thoughtful people that the way you kept young people from falling into a life of drugs and desolation was to educate them. Give them a solid shot at making a life for themselves that was better than the lives they saw around them. Provide hope. The government wasn't doing that. By God, I was waging my war on drugs. David was at the bottom of the stairs as I walked down with my backpack thrown over my shoulder. Is that all you have, Clint? This is it. I'll only be here this evening. Turn right around and go back as soon as we're done. Then let's get busy, my boy. We'll pick Andy up along our way. I would never have believed any of us would be so happy to sell that part of the bank, but she might as well have been practicing her autograph all day. She's so eager to sign away. Have you heard anything out of Abe? I threw my backpack into the back seat of the BMW and climbed inside, inhaling the rich scent of new leather. He knows nothing of our meeting today, and we're keeping it that way. He's far away in West Palm. (laughs) On a fool's errand? David shrugged. Maybe. Maybe not. That bank he's checking out would be a fine acquisition, and thanks to you, we'll soon have that wherewithal to actually acquire it. 
when you have a chance, I want you to look over the numbers and tell me what you think. David turned into his long driveway. Even from a distance, I spotted Candace standing by the front door, pointing out to one of the gardeners exactly how she expected the climbing roses to be trimmed. She looked magnificent as usual. Snow-white linen slacks and a crisp blazer, black heels and underneath a sky-blue silk blouse that I noticed almost perfectly matched my beautifully tied tie. She turned when she heard David's car approach and lifted her arms in greeting. David pulled up to the house and put the car in park, and I jumped out to hug Candace. My young and handsome millionaire. The drive to downtown Miami was typical. Bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, even at this hour of the evening. It was slow going, with horns honking and impatient drivers swerving from one lane to another. It took us an hour and some change to reach Saviorsburg. David driving with Candace beside him. Me in the back seat, but Candace turned as best she could, still restricted by her seatbelt, to talk to me the whole way. You must be so happy to be seeing your mentor again. I'd always believed that she knew there was something more to my connection with Xavier than what we allowed the public to see, but she'd never said anything to me about it. She would think it was none of her business, although when Jack and I were in high school, she'd asked him once if we were boyfriends. It's fine with me if you are, you know, she told her son. Jack, who was only lately in his mid-thirties growing out of his adolescent asshole phase, had looked at her and replied, Ah, oh, Mom, Clint, I can do better than him. I am excited to be seeing Xavier again. He was a terrific role model for me when I was younger. Never gone wrong following his advice. I thought about the price I paid to be where I am now. He was a big part of it. He would not have done any of it without my surrendering to him. I vowed to never do that to another person, ever. David tapped his horn, not to join the general cacophony of the heavy traffic, but in agreement with my sentiment. You have always made the most out of every opportunity offered to you, Clint. Candace and I are, well, we're so proud of you. He shook his head. We had high hopes for all our boys. The lobby featured a variety of sea creatures found along Florida's coast, if you looked hard enough. White marble floors that made each footfall echo in the large open space, all encased in a glass facade. Every space in the building was rented at any given time. The top two floors housed Xavier's law firm, and so this was downtown's status address. The secretary escorted us to the boardroom on the 23rd floor, where Xavier waited. He locked eyes on me as we entered and walked to me. I offered my hand, and he took it in both of his. He was as handsome as he ever was, I thought, and was surprised when he leaned in and whispered, you look as good today as you always did, at that same moment. Had we always thought in concert like this, I wondered, and answered myself, yes. Xavier turned to David and Candace and shook hands with them as well. Then he waved his hand toward the array of legal documents laid out on the table before us. You do realize that after you sign these documents, David, you and Candace will no longer have primary control of the bank. Candace tilted her head. If we don't sign these documents, there won't be any bank to control, Xavier. David remained silent, and I was sure the reason was that although I was buying half of their collective shares, he was sure I would still defer to him concerning operations. And he wasn't entirely wrong about that. I had no interest in spending my days in a bank office or living my life exclusively in Miami. And he knew it. 
and the funds for this purchase. They've been transferred? Clint has seen to that. Xavier raised his eyebrows. In the arch of his eyes, I saw the question, where did Clint get $2 million to buy a bank? In the smile that played on his lips, I read both pride and amusement that however it had been accomplished, I'd pulled it off. With a few flourishes of black ink, first David's, then Candace's, and mine, I was the owner of a 32% stake in Citizens National Bank, equal to David and Candace's shares combined. The remaining 38% of stock was owned by approximately 80 individual owners. As the ink dried, each of us sat back in our chairs, speechless, each for a different reason, at the magnitude of what we had just done. Well, I think this calls for a little celebration. May I take you all to dinner? I own a very nice restaurant, just one floor up. Xavier had invested in the top floor restaurant so that he could have the convenience of entertaining clients and friends in his building. The maitre d' straightened his striped bow tie as we entered, and I could have sworn nearly tapped his heels together to signal his attention. It'll be four this evening, Charles. Very good, Mr. Seuss, the maitre d' replied, and led us through the broad, open, modern space, with floor-to-ceiling windows offering an unparalleled view of Biscayne Bay. To the back of the restaurant, where he parted a heavy white linen curtain onto a sizable but still cozy nook that held Xavier's private table. The round, cherry wood table was set for six as we entered. Four waiters followed close on our heels, two to strip the table of two of its place settings and rearrange the charger plates, silver utensils, and soft linen napkins that had been delicately folded into little shapes of swans for our smaller party, and two to hold our chairs and seat us. Candace first, of course, and David, then me, and Xavier last. The waiters were all young men in their early 20s, all striking to look at, and though they seemed terribly efficient about their jobs, I wondered how many of them had been hired, because in addition to their skills, they were amazing eye candy for Xavier. The wine list, Mr. Sousa, or would you prefer to start with cocktails? Charles asked. Candace, I defer to your better judgment. I wouldn't turn down a vodka martini. Straight up. Dry. All around? Make that gray goose, Charles. Xavier held up a hand as if he was going to do a head count. No one objected. Yes, indeed, Mr. Sousa, right away. The four of us talked banking over our martinis, then our flaky, succulent appetizers, beggar's purses stuffed with crab, our steak accompanied by a rich, peppery Cote d'Arone. I'm so old school when it comes to good food. Xavier had offered this as if it were a confession, though I knew his taste to be a point of pride. He had ordered for the table at our request. It was his restaurant, after all. And who better to know the true specialties of the house? I enjoyed the meal, but I couldn't help flashing back to my years with Xavier. All the French food I'd ingested, even when I would have preferred a pizza or a burger, just because it was Xavier's favorite cuisine. So, you believe the loan department needs to be remade? From top to bottom, I confirmed after swallowing a bite of my steak. Why wouldn't we consider modifying the payments to help bring the borrowers current, rather than throwing up our hands and scrapping the whole shebang? It's good for us if we recover our money, even eventually. And it's good for the customers and their credit ratings in the end, too. Seems to me that's more of a win-win outcome. I agree. Let's bring in someone to look over what's on the books and rate the loans as far as collectability and see what we can work out with the customers. Now, I have someone in mind who would be very helpful with that. 
Give me his contact information. I'll, I'll call him in for an interview. Of course. But David, it's a her. <laughs> Sexist pig. Busted. Many other bright ideas, Clint. <laughs> well, I'd like to talk about two of our board members who are over 80 years old. They don't understand modern banking, and I think it's time for them to go. Also, of course, we need to up the deposits, which should make the FDIC very happy. More money coming in than going out. I stole a glance at Xavier, who'd been quietly observing while he ate his meal, not speaking much at all, preferring to assess the deal he had just facilitated, the fiscal health of the bank and the current status of my life from what he could glean from our conversation. My partner in Mexico, I said, purposely leaving out what kind of partner I was talking about to keep Xavier guessing, is working on another venture for the two of us, one that could be worth five times the one we've just completed. I paused while David dabbed his mouth with his napkin to cover his gasp. And I'm certain he'll bring the business to us. David smiled broadly, and Candace raised her glass to me, and I saw Xavier grin. Quite a good partner to have, I'd say. Oh, yes, he is. And then I felt good for exactly 20 seconds, until I realized that bringing in more of Alvaro's money to the bank meant I'd have to continue to deal with Alvaro himself. My brain was suddenly awash in cliches, caught between a rock and a hard place, choose between the devil and the deep blue sea, in for a penny, in for a pound. And I absolutely could not give any sign of being even slightly shaken, because there, to my immediate left, was Xavier, taking it all in. Suddenly, and without even a wink to David or Candace in consultation, the words were out of my mouth. I would also love to talk to you, Xavier, about being on our board of directors. It would certainly be to our advantage to have the best lawyer in the state on the inside. To my relief, and after only the briefest moment of stunned silence, David and Candace enthusiastically and in unison seconded my motion. Xavier smiled at me. I will certainly consider it then, Clint. I held out my hand to him for a handshake, and once again he took it in both of his and held it while he continued. I wouldn't mind at all having an excuse to spend more time with you again. My phone buzzed as we were in the car, David and Candace driving me back from the airport. Alvaro, how was your practice today? Ah, it was not good. The bull trapped me behind the barrel, and I had to have one of my guys chase him off. This bull is crazy, crazier than any I have ever seen, and big. But you wait and see, when I am through with him, he will be meat on the grill. Well, at least he was in a good mood. Alvaro, I said, because clearly either becoming an overnight millionaire or the proximity to my old mentor or maybe the vodka had gone to my head. What do you think of me inviting David and Candace to come to Mexico this weekend to see you fight? The response from all three parties, the one on the phone and the two in the front seat of the car, was immediate. Of course, invite them and... Couldn't imagine a better offer, my genius boy, and that's a lovely idea, dear. When I was settled back into the lush sofa on Alvaro's plane, and Tim had served me a small glass of brandy, my phone rang again. Jack this time. Your mom and dad are coming to visit me in Mexico this week. You know, Jack. And nothing at all to do with the reason I asked your parents to come and visit me. But I do enjoy causing your brother stress. I know I've been greedy in the past, but I feel good about saving our family's bank. 
The same six guards showed up in the same armored truck at Alvaro's hacienda to move the money, while Alvaro took me aside to make the same admonishments. Veiled threats, I should take good care of his money or he would be very unhappy. And I replied with the same assurances that he'd heard a hundred times before and still did not believe. The same eight bank employees worked with Juan Carlos to count and wire the money into the same few hundred dormant accounts in Florida. I stayed the entire day as I always had to make sure the money had made it out of Mexico and fielded the same periodic calls from Jack reporting on the status of the money that had already made it into the U.S. The air was littered with the same honks from angry drivers and the rancid odor of exhaust fumes as people left their offices to make their way home for the evening. Everyone was used to the same routine. There were no surprises. But life had changed. Dramatically. I was now not merely a prosperous man, I was very, very rich. I experienced a sense of excitement at the thought of what I had attained, but no real satisfaction, no sustained sense of consummation. My first thoughts were in this order, man, that was fun. And what's next? More, I, I couldn't shake the craving for it. I decided the wise thing to do would be to ground myself in something that did give me a sense of contentment. So instead of going home when I left the bank, I drove to the school I was building. The school excited me, the value I would add to all those lives. The houses that I was having remodeled to accommodate my school were situated only about three blocks away from my house. I parked in front of the construction site, locked my car, and stepped around several bags of Portland cement mix in order to access the front door and open the lock to go inside. Most of the new plumbing and electrical had already been installed, and the new plastering on walls and ceilings was coming along apace. The original brightly colorful floor tiles had all been pulled up and cleaned off, and the tiles were stacked in neat piles in various corners of the room, ready to be reinstalled over new and once again even subflooring, which had also been raised by six inches from its original level to spare recurring damage from the flooding that came with the annual heavy rains and had caused all the damage to begin with. The large compressor for the central air conditioning I was having installed. Quite an unusual feature in old buildings such as these and almost unheard of in a school for poor kids had arrived. But I couldn't see that much progress had been made with the ductwork. I made a mental note to put that on the list of things I wanted to talk with the contractor about. The school was designed for boys only, mostly because of the way I'd had to arrange the dormitory area. Well, perhaps a girl's wing could be added as part of the expansion my new wealth would allow. In the first year, the school would serve only those kids who were between 6 and 12 years old. Adding grades using levels of American high schools as my model was another area in which I planned for the school to grow. For now, 75 little boys of elementary school age would live at the school in small but clean and comfortable rooms, two to a room, in which they would each have a narrow bed and their own desk. I knew that the Mayan kids I wanted to serve were plenty smart, indeed as smart as any other group of kids in Mexico. They never had the money nor time or the primary sort of security that would allow them to take advantage of their gifts. The Spanish weren't going to help them up the food chain. They thought of the Mayans as little more than slaves. The kids at my school, however, equipped with a good, basic education, as well as fluency in English, would be able to land good jobs with the American companies doing business in South America. 
companies who were always looking for talented people to bridge the language divide. The kids who graduated from my school would have at least some of the advantages that rich Spanish boys like Alvaro were born into. At the end of each dormitory hallway was one slightly larger room, reserved for the school's teachers. I wanted my teachers, most of whom I was importing from America, at least for the first few years, to live with the kids, to be on call for them when they needed help at night, with their studies or had a personal challenge about which they needed advice, to expose the kids to extracurricular activities and take them on field trips, reading a book before going to bed or going to the symphony in the evening, to show them what life could be like when a person wasn't living in poverty, fighting to live a fulfilling life instead of only for one's next meal. I was standing in one of the small student rooms, realizing that one of the things I was actually looking forward to doing was sitting down with the decorator my architect had recommended and choosing the furnishings for these rooms. Colorful desk lamps and comfortable desk chairs and bright plaid comforters when the text from Xavier came on my cell phone. I enjoyed seeing you very much, his text read. And then a second text followed. I hope I can see a whole lot more of you very soon. I knew what he was asking. And truth be told, if I hadn't been standing in my school, surrounded by the feeling of real joy this project gave me, I might have considered moving back to Florida, getting away from whatever craziness lay in store with Alvaro, and taking Xavier up on whatever it was he was offering. It was great to see you too. Maybe lunch when I'm in Miami next. I typed back and hit send. I had to wait only seconds before my phone dinged with his reply. Love to have lunch, my dear Clint. Anytime, just let me know when. I picked David and Candace up at the Merida airport late that Friday afternoon. Alvaro had offered his plane for their trip, and Candace had warned me she was taking full advantage of the fact that she didn't have to worry about commercial baggage handlers or making her way through customs. So she was not packing light. I brought Pedro with me to handle her luggage. I was more excited than I thought I'd be to have David and Candace arrive for a visit. They'd never seen my home before. I was looking forward to showing them where I lived and how I lived. I would never have said as a younger man that I would have wanted to live in the sort of house in which I now resided. An old, lovingly restored colonial mansion with 18-foot ceilings. Merida, however, had knocked me out the first time I'd laid eyes on it, and part of the reason I'd fallen for the city was its architecture. I couldn't wait to buy one of the neglected old colonials in the middle of the city and give it the sort of attention and affection, not to mention the Brazilian granite and restored mahogany woodwork and revitalized interior courtyard with a water feature and miniature palms that it had lacked for far too long. Pedro wrestled Candace's four suitcases into the house and down the hall to the guest suite I prepared for her and David. And I took my guests on a tour of my home. David was taking in the richness of his surroundings. I could live like this. I laughed, suddenly modest. <laughs> oh, you'd change your mind quickly if we were in a hot spell. It gets to be over 100 degrees in the season, with high humidity too. Five minutes after you shower, you're ready for another one. Huh. No, I, I wouldn't like that. South Florida is bad enough as it is. But you don't mind, Clint. You're happy living here. I nodded my head, 
I think I'm a very lucky man, Candace. I'd just poured three glasses of a Mexican Sauvignon Blanc I'd bought because I thought Candace would like it. And then my cell phone rang. Alvaro. I considered sending the call to voicemail, but he'd been so generous in sending his plane for David and Candace, I would have felt like a real jerk repaying his gratitude with such indifference. Hey. The bull. I fought a new one today. And it is just as crazy as the other ones. His bullfight was scheduled to take place on Sunday, and he'd been in the ring with a variety of bulls every day for the last week, sharpening his skills for the big day. I think, Clint, I worry that someone is making sure I get only the crazy bulls. I excused myself with a nod to David and Candace and stepped out on the patio before I answered him. Why do you think someone would do that, Alvaro? To kill me! To see that I get killed by a crazy bull! I swallowed hard. The bull wasn't the only one who was crazy. If I'd thought there was any chance in hell Alvaro was seeing a professional to try and correct his erratic behavior, I would have thought he was off his meds again. I need to see you, Clint. I need you to come here to my house right now. But Alvaro, don't you remember? David and Candace, they've just arrived. Don't give me shit. Do you want to see me killed right now? Hope you enjoyed this episode of Stained Fortune. It was produced by myself, Joe Calderwood, and Jeff Messer. Casting by Charlie Wilson. And performances by Haven Kai, Alan Chandler, Lauren Otis, and Carl Kiernum. Music by Freddie Elmberg. I wage war through the water. Thinking I'm Uncle Sam I'm trying to make you live it all I'm just a working man And oh, I love it I can't get no sleep